Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. Now, Byron, there's been so much happening this week, uh, so much to get to, but before we start breaking everything down, let the listeners know what we do, how we do, and why we do it. Basically, we just try to bring you the big topics that's been going on, important topics, news, and events that's been going on in the country and around the world. Every now and then, we try to cover uh, an event that hasn't been covered as much in the media. Uh, before we get to that, Frank, I just got a question for you, man. Is it what the hell is wrong with Chris Brown or was he set up by this young lady by the name of, I think, Bailey Curran, who allegedly is wanted in New York for stealing the Louis Vuitton handbag? Um, he, he, of course, was arrested. And he's out on bail right now. So is it what the hell is wrong with Chris Brown or do you think this is the one time that he's actually a victim of someone setting him up? Here's the thing about Chris Brown. I think he's the boy who cried wolf in some respects. He's he's been through obviously the 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 first issue that people probably remember is the domestic violence issue with Rihanna, and then he's had some other incidents where he's gone off on Twitter on women. He has a very strange history. Uh, he also posted a very strange video when the cops actually come to his house about they're not getting in there without a warrant. So I don't know if I give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying he didn't get set up, but it doesn't look Chris Brown's just not the guy to get the benefit of the doubt. So to me, I, I just feel like he puts himself in harm's way. Why was he even with this? Who is this woman? Why is he with her? You know, when you when you have that kind of money and, and influence and stature in life, you have to be very careful and vet everybody around you. And I think that he's doing a very poor job. At least he's guilty of doing a poor job of vetting the people around him because you can't just have anybody around you once you become famous and wealthy. And let me apologize to the listeners for the few that may not know what's going on. He was accused of pulling a gun on this woman at his home and police showed up. And like Frank said, he made a video saying, F the police, Black Lives Matter. I'm not letting no man. Um, so it was just a, a strange, crazy situation. We'll see what happens with that. But we got some important stuff to get to. So, Frank, let's get to it, man. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Leaked Frank emails from and Nancy Byron. Pelosi regarding Black Lives Matter. I posted that article on Facebook. Senator Rubio and McCain won their respective uh, primaries this week, so they are now officially the Republican candidates for senator in their states. Um, you can copy and share. The, if you listen to this show from a link that we posted on social media, we ask that you copy and share to at least five friends. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, also podcasts on Google Play, and like our page on Facebook, Politically Entertaining. Me and Frank, we got to get to Colin Kaepernick. We got a lot to say about that. Uh, Ryan Lockie, we're also going to shed some light on the Department of Justice's findings in the Baltimore Police Department. And we'll also talk to Eric Newman of New Vision Consulting. But first things first, Frank, 
as we all know, presidential election is going on now. Well, not election, but the, the contest is going on. Hillary Clinton alluded to Trump being a bigot several days ago. Trump shot back. Uh, in your opinion, I know we, we're used to hearing all sorts of things from our politicians. Did either one of them cross the line? Like, is there a certain line that shouldn't be crossed? Like bigot, racist, those are strong terms to call someone. They should never be used lightly. So do you feel like either candidate crossed the line with the with the whole name calling and exchanging that they did? Or is this just politics as usual in America? I would say that even even going back 10 years ago, it would be almost out of bounds if if, say, uh, President Senator Obama at the time were to call John McCain a racist or uh, McCain was to say something about Barack Obama. It's it just they're, they're, the gentleman gloves on politics are off. So I'd say for 2016 is somewhat par for the course. You know, Donald Trump has been reveling in in, in um, rowdy revel, um, rowdy rhetoric for some time now. That's kind of what he does. And and Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton is no, um, you know, she's not as, as as so to speak. She's not exactly a soft, delicate woman uh, from a standpoint of she's not afraid to fire back. And I think that, you know, this is this is this is the creation of somewhat of the media and then also of two very volatile personalities i think people don't know people kind of know that trump is a loose cannon but hillary clinton has a very uh driven she's very passionate so when people kind of challenge her she is not afraid to step in there so i think you're going to hear some crazier things i mean these debates coming up starting in september uh, i think the first one is what september the uh is it the 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 date eludes me but it's, it's, it's coming up. It's, com- it's coming up. Yeah. But the point is, you're going to hear some crazy stuff in these debates. And I know that we're going to hear some things we've never heard before because we've got two candidates we've never had before. And you would say, well, really? Be- I mean, because even though Barack Obama was an African-American candidate at the time, he was still a very polished. He's very smooth. I mean, he he's he's used to I mean, he's just a great orator. He does a lot of great things. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I mean, they've never been in this position before, and I just don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be quite a show. You know, to quote T.O., get your popcorn ready. (laughs) Monday, September 26th is the first uh, debate between those two. And Trump used this opportunity to so-called extend an olive, olive branch to black people. He uh, first said that Hillary is a bigot because she only cares about black people as far as votes. But to me, he failed miserably in, in so-called reaching out to us as far as he I felt like he talked about us and not to us. First off, he was in front of a majority, if not all white crowd when he was talking about it. And he just was pretty much doing what most conservatives usually do. Talk about the violence in Chicago. Talk about all the bad things, the bad schools that a lot of black people experience. But he wasn't offering any solutions. He basically was saying, hey, Hillary is not isn't going to do anything for you. What he literally said, what do you have to lose? And one of the more disgusting things he did was, uh, you know, my favorite player, Dwayne Wade, his cousin was killed in Chicago. This guy who's running for president sends out a tweet that says Dwayne Wade's cousin got killed in Chicago. Black people are going to vote for me. Like, that's the time to really try to get votes when you're talking about the death of somebody. And I just want to say one other thing that that is off of the whole bigotry thing. He went to Mexico and met with the Mexican president this week. 
And if what the Mexican president said is true, then Trump is a coward because he comes out and he talks so greasy about Mexico and Mexicans and how they're rapists, bringing drugs in the country. They're going to pay for the wall. All this. He goes down there and he doesn't mention any of that. So to me, you, you had you had all this to say. And then you go down there to the president. That's your chance to say, hey, you're paying for the wall and this is how you're going to do it. But again, that's if you believe the Mexican president. I wasn't there. I don't know who's telling the truth on that. Um, that was a very, very disturbing report um, from the Department of Justice, Frank. Now, they did one of these on the Ferguson Police Department about a year ago and found a lot of uh, bad things that were going on. With this Baltimore Police Department, a couple nuggets, and I, I want to get your, your thoughts on this. You got officers in the sex crime unit there referring to their cases as BS saying that their victims were not real victims. Uh, you have an exchange between a, an officer and a, and a district attorney where he, quote, said his victim was a conniving little whore. Uh, you have women that have been strip searched in public on the side of the road, broad daylight, for having a, a headlight out. She was strip searched. Nothing was found. No charge. That That's ridiculous. Imagine your mother, your sister, or even your wife being, being strip searched like that for something as minor as that with no privacy whatsoever. And then another charge, the Internal Affairs Department, who is tasked with, you know, holding police officers accountable whenever they do something questionable or in trouble. They do what they call a, a pre-interview. They coach the officers on what to say. This was found in the report that they were coaching officers on what to say. So when they did the official recording of the interview, the police officer know what this, knew what to say. So, Frank, I always hear this whole there's a war on police. I was talking to somebody this week and he was like, you know, there's there's this war on police. I don't think there's a war on police. Actually, in my opinion, enough light isn't being shed on a lot of wrongdoings that's going on in these police departments. It's not just limited to Ferguson or Baltimore. We see it's going on in Chicago, Los Angeles, all over the place. Uh, I don't I don't know if you got a chance to read the report, but if you haven't, just based on the things that I said, any of this shocking to you? Do you think it's as widespread as I believe or is it limited to just a department here or there? You know, th thanks for that intro to the subject, but I did have a chance to read it and, and I was appalled. And, you know, a lot of what was in that report was when you if you go back and listen to this episode on iTunes, the one with Brandon R. Davis, a lot of it looks like over policing. And 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 what that means is you're stopping people for basically either minor offenses or, or inventing offenses in these cases. There was a there was one part of the report where two children were basically assaulted in front of their home and and, and arrested and, and pepper spray, which is which is incredible to think that your children, your son, your daughter could be accosted by the police in front of their home by by playing and and be told that they're loitering when they actually live there and then arrested for you know because they don't they're not going anywhere because they're living there so those are those are some of the credible things that were you know incredible in a obviously bad way in the report and and just the idea and to, to clarify one of the things you said about the sex crimes unit she that they said uh none, none of the cases in sex crimes are real and then the 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 person somebody asked officer well can you be a little can you soften your stance says okay Okay, well, um, 90% of the cases aren't real. So that is a huge thing to say because, I mean, I, and I'm actually, it's funny because we talked about this uh, the last episode with Quinn and, Quinn and Brooker, QB, 
and I love Law and Order. I love Law and Order SVU. I watch both of them uh, from time to time. And you know, Law and SVU has some really, really bad cases on it. Some of those cases are really insidious. And to think that because they're not a homicide victim, to think that a, a sexual assault victim or a rape victim is not as is not as big a deal as somebody who say was murdered. That's that's a horrible and, and, and a very inappropriate way to, to police. And, and that's the thing. There, there are people who are policing who have no standards. Uh, you know, in, in, in some of these cases that you mentioned about the busted taillights with the chill or the children being assaulted or, you know, uh, other women being strip searched for other things. The officers were given either a reprimand or even really no discipline at all. There was really nothing that was done. It wasn't even like, OK, they came down really hard on the officers once they found out. The, the the penalties paid were very very uh they they weren't they were not even significant so there's no reason to even stop being a bad policeman because well hell what's gonna happen I I get a slap on the wrist you know and and, and that's you know an amazing thing and people won't read the report because you know that's the the thing about what the problem with this what's going on in the country now we'll talk about this a little bit later I want to get too far ahead but it's like if you if if you it doesn't matter if you think there is police violence brutality you have to read this report and say okay there's something wrong now you know regardless of some of the different events that have happened this has been a documented evidence this is a fact finding the DOJ does not come in lightly and just gloss over they this this is a long report and it's very detailed and all these things really happened it's not a government conspiracy and so it's just it's just difficult when you when you see these things, you read these things and to to not feel the the, the um, I guess the pain of people who are going through this and they don't feel like they have a voice. And I think that's one of the things that we talk about people voting. This is the kind of thing that will keep people from voting because they feel like, you know what, I don't want to have anything to do with with this system. But this is exactly what they need to do, because you know these people need to be voted out of all of these these police chiefs, these district attorneys, these sheriffs who are, are basically over policing need to be eradicated from office because they're ruining communities and ruining lives. Here, here's my thing. So several years ago, there was this thing called the, the knockout game where teenagers were, I guess, you know, walking up on unsuspecting people and just trying to knock them out and, and run away. I think there were uh, legitimately like two or three actual cases of that. And the media ran wild with it to where it was supposedly like nationwide and it was the new trend and every teenager was was doing it. And it turned out that wasn't the case. But yet that that created such a media hysteria. Also with Ebola, what was that last year or two years ago? I think America had what what was it like one, two or three cases. We were ready to (laughs) to shut down our borders and not let anyone in this country from from Africa and in in different places because of these one or two cases. And and I'm not saying you shouldn't agree with that, but we we get we we're so easily easily uh made hysterical of different things. Yet we point out all these bad behaviors of police officers and people just shrug their shoulders and say, well, they well first off they always remind you, well, not all officers are bad. We know that. But what me and Frank are saying is that obviously it's a, a systemic problem throughout different police departments around the country. And we would like for you guys to actually pay attention and hear us and stop shrugging it off like so many people, so many of the pundits and, and, and guests that they have on, they shrug it off so many times. One one last thing on that report, Frank, they, they do a whole bunch of pedestrian stops that are pretty much unwarranted. 
of all the pedestrian stops they did in, in a nearly five month, I mean, excuse me, a five year period, it was like over 10,000 stops. 3.7% resulted in an arrest or a citation. That's all they could get out of all those thousands of stops that they so-called are calling policing. Only three point, less than 4% led to an arrest. So that should tell you that things need to change. Minorities and black people, we are not exaggerating when we're saying that some of these practices need to change and some of these police departments have some bad apples. There's no warrant police, in my opinion. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Congressman, well, former Congressman Anthony Weiner Frank, but uh, for those of you that are not, he is a former Congressman of New York. Um, he got caught up in a sexting scandal. You probably remember this where he uh, sent a picture of his, I guess you want to call it junk or private areas to to a woman that was not his wife. Uh, what made it such a big scandal, Frank, was he lied about it for so long at first, like it wasn't his. He said he got hacked. And then it come to find out that it was him. He sent those pictures. Well, OK, so he wound up resigning from Congress. He stepped down. Then he tried to reappear. and He ran for mayor of uh, New York and he wound up losing. So he kind of was out of the limelight for a while. Well, this week he's at it again. He sexted another woman, this time his wife who happens to be a Clinton top aide. That's why the story is getting so much attention. She's decided to leave him this time. She stood by him after the first scandal. So my question to you is, you got him, you have Bill Clinton, you have former Senator Ensign of Nevada, former Congressman Foley, who was emailing underage boys, and the former Speaker of the House, who we talked about on a previous episode, who wound up going to jail for sexually assaulting uh, young boys as well. It seems like sex scandals take down a lot of, especially male politicians. In your opinion, would you say it's sex or money scandals that take down politicians the most? Those seem to be the two big things that take down politicians. So is it is it sex that, that politicians have a problem with or is it like take it, finding uh, unique ways to steal money? Oh, man. I mean, it's 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 what is it? Is money, power, sex? It's, it's that combination. I think it's more of the power. And I think that it manifests itself through either sex or money. So whichever the case you may be, it is it is a play for power in the case of women. Even going back to talking about someone like Gary Condit, Chandra Levy. I mean, you're talking about guys who have had illicit affairs while in Congress because they can, because they feel like, you know what, I'm a 50, 60 year old man. I can get this young 20, 30 something year old woman doing all kind of things that, you know, my wife don't do anymore or maybe never did. And that gives them a feeling of like, hey, you know, I'm 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 the, I'm the man. Right. You know, I'm 55 and I got a Beyonce like, you know, doing whatever. So, I mean, there's that. And then obviously from a money standpoint, you think about, you know, some of the other scandals that, that we've seen. Money is money. I mean, it's it's a way to an end to a mean. You see, govern governors. I know we we had talked we had talked about this previous show. Governors misappropriating funds. You know, going on trips. You know, spending it on, you know, property things like that. So it just all comes back to the the the, the allure of power. Um, and, and and these guys have so much power that it corrupts them, and it manifests itself to me in those different ways. And that's really what you see. Uh, in in this why they get caught they don't they and the reason why they always get caught is because it's never the first time if these guys had one affair or took one hand out under the table they wouldn't get caught but they become so enamored with the 
the thrill of getting away with it and being able to do it. They just eventually get sloppy and either get caught through their own negligence or they end up in a probe like Elliot Spitzer where they basically start, you know, tracking your whereabouts and you end up being one of the clients when they bust you, you know, as, as far as one of the named suspects. So to me, it's all about the power, man, and, and, and that's what corrupts people. I wouldn't know how to answer that question. I probably would say both, man, to be honest. Uh, but it's it's a shame, and it, it just happens so many times with uh, politicians. Not limited to just males, but mostly, it seems, male politicians. Um, I'm going to discuss financial planning and security with Eric Newman. Uh, let's talk to him and discuss that and get our thoughts on the other end of the interview. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Join us today on Politically Entertaining. He is with New Vision Consulting. He offers uh, education on financial and insurance securities. Uh, If you need to know where your gold is, you can visit nvllc.net for more information. Eric Newman, thank you for joining us today, sir. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. All right, I wanted to uh, jump right in. Uh, the main thing, the main theme with your consulting firm is the the main thing that I saw on it is you you guys want to educate people as far as you know saving money and and having some type of financial security. In in your line of work, from your experience, what has been the biggest mistakes that most people have made as far as uh, planning for their future with with their uh, finances and with insurance. Well, the biggest mistake all around is basically the foundation, which is basically education. The lack of information and understanding about the industry. People a long time are only going along with what they were taught by their parents or friends or what they learned throughout their life, and they're not really getting the full understanding and how to implement the information to to have a a proper portfolio for their finances. And insurance, which is what I mainly cover, is the foundation for any portfolio or any investment plan. Now, how did this become your, your, your passion, your line of work? Did you, uh, did you have a close family member or friend that experienced not being prepared for an unforeseen situation, or was it something that you've always been interested in and studied and uh, joined the field? Well, I always wanted to get into finances. Uh, when I got out of uh, when I graduated from college, I went into financial. I became an accountant and financial analyst, and that really wasn't my thing. I'm more of an outgoing entrepreneurial type, so. I ended up falling into banking, and then I went into insurance around uh, 07 and 08. Um, and I really, when I really got into the industry is when my father got into an accident at work, and uh, he was basically, he bruised his spine and was unable to do anything. And if he didn't get hurt at work, our entire family would have been destroyed financially. Because it's basically costing about seven to eight eighty five hundred dollars a month to take care of him, and most people can't afford six figures a year to take care of someone. And 
I used my experience and the fact that I was already in it, and it, it, it built my passion into getting awareness and education out in the, uh, in, in, in the community. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Eric, that you make about the education. One of the things that, you know, I always and, and you've taught me over the years is, you know, di- explain the difference to people, the different types of insurance they can have, because I think people always think of insurance as something that, oh, when you die, you know, I'll leave something or, you know, maybe um, I'll, I'll have something to bury me. But what, what are the kind of insurance people really need to focus on, especially when they're young, say in their 20s, 30s, uh, raising a family? What do they need to focus on? Well, they're all there are multiple types of insurance, and I try to keep things real simple. Um, insurance is basically it gives you the opportunity to transfer risk from yourself to another entity, and there are different ways to do it. Now, the proper way to do it is that everybody's situation is different. You don't just pick a, pick something and say, "I want to get that." You have to uh, match it to your scenario. So um, different types of policies out there, you're going to have uh, things such as a whole life policy. There's multiple types of whole life policies, which is why you have to really know what you're looking at. Um, whole life is something that's going to last you, like it says, your whole life. Uh, it accrues interest uh, throughout time. Um, we also have term policies. Term policies gives you a term of coverage, but it's a lower cost. You can think of a whole life policy as buying a house and you own the policy and it earns interest or equity like a home would, and a term policy is kind of like an apartment. You pay monthly because you're borrowing that policy, and once the term is over, you have no ownership of that any longer. So those are the two main types of policies that people hear about, but you also have other policies such as universal life, index universal policies, accident policies, which a lot of people get, uh, I guess, uh, tricked into getting thinking that it's an all-regular policy, but it only covers accidents. Um, I can go on, but those are the other your main type of policies that are out there. So you named a lot of different policies, and if you're not familiar with, say, the terms you use, say you said term life, whole life, index, universal life, accident policies, uh, you know, is is going to your website the best way for people to get educated? And when they are looking at it, and they and say they do call you, what what would they need to have to make the consultation kind of you know go better? Because I see a lot of stuff on your website is very dense, and that's very good. But that can almost be intimidating to some people from a standpoint of to say, well, you know, what do I really need? You know, uh, what kind of coverage do I need? Like, what would you tell people uh, who are coming to the table for the first time, um, and they and they have like a lot of risk, as you said. What's the best way to, to get started? Well, on the contact us section of my website, it gives you different scenarios, different products, different parts of your life that you may be in or have questions about. And when you check mark those options, it will actually send me a list of what you're looking at. And from that point, I don't just go off of that. I actually start from the beginning and get to know the person, find out what they want for their family's future, find out what they want for their future, um, what assets they have. And I do a full financial analysis because 
unless you know that, you can't really know what to offer someone. There's a lot of agents out there that just push a product because they don't really know more than just what they sell. Uh, they treat insurance like it's a total uh, way to fix a financial situation, and it's not. From what somebody has in their life, you find out what gaps they have, and you find out that gap and what risk it offers and show them what products would help them in that particular risk. Um, a lot of times the client has too much insurance or they have the wrong type of insurance. So even though there's a term policy, there's multiple different types of term policies. Even though there's whole life, there's multiple different types of whole, whole life policies because of your different riders, your different, um, I guess you could say laws or clauses that come, just like a car. I always like to use the scenario of a car. You go into a Mercedes dealership, and you can have two um, S-classes uh, S sitting in front of you, same color, same look, same everything. And to the eye of the uneducated client, those cars are the same car. Just like they see insurance, all insurance are almost the same to most people. But in the car, you have different things, features, benefits, safety features, things of that sort, performance features, quality. And those are the things that people don't know fully about when they see insurance. And that's why you need to talk to a professional and get that information. And I know I probably went on a tangent, but I uh, hope I answered your question on that. And that's quite all right. We are talking to Eric Newman of New Vision Consultant. They offer uh, free seminars to churches, different employees. So if you're interested, Visit, again, nvllc.net if you're interested in learning more about what we're discussing today. Eric, uh, according to Forbes, 63% of Americans can't cover a $500 emergency. In your opinion, are our, um, are our politicians, are they doing enough to educate or even encourage people to get educated on finances? Because when you talk to different politicians, it seems like their only solution is to just get a job, provide jobs. Jobs are important, but like you say, there's so many different things out there. If you don't know quite what to do with your money, then you still can be put in a, a bad situation. So do you think, are our politicians doing enough as far as encouraging people to get educated on these matters? Well, I think school should be the first start of education. Do you know that relationship and finances are the two things that everybody deal with? but they don't educate kids on finances in schools. Agreed. And a lot of people grow up and got their own opinion about finances, but they treat it as if they understand, but they really don't know the full aspect of it. And I think the lack of education is the number one problem. And I think it starts in the schools. I mean, they, we learn social studies, we learn history, you learn science, but nobody learns how to take care of their finances. Even because everybody doesn't have to do with science. Everybody doesn't have to do with different subjects, but everybody has to do with their finances. And I don't know if that's a trap to get people to get into the, to the trap of the system of the United States, which is go to work, go to school, get a job, and things of that sort. But we really do need to educate our youth, educate those who are dealing with these situations so they're not into the point where they're lost or they're financially devastated because of a incident or a mishap. I mean, 
disability is the number one cause of foreclosures and bankruptcies. 52% of all foreclosures are from disability. And that's an issue that can be handled a lot. And a lot of people count on what they get at their job, but they don't realize that what you get at your job is temporary. It's a, it's a group policy. Once you leave the job, everything's gone. So you, you definitely want to own your policies. You want to own something that's going to cover so that your family is not devastated. And, I mean, even in our community, I mean, if you think about it, most people don't know, unless somebody in the family is a professional or went to school and learned finances, most people don't know. And then especially in the the black community, we're, we're a century behind other cultures. They have been going for years teaching their kids about finances. And because of our history, we don't know as much. And those who don't know, a lot of times it's fear that's preventing them from doing what's necessary. And there, I mean, that's a whole other subject matter that I can go on about. But we need to educate and show that when something happens, that insurance is not always an issue. It's not always a problem. One of the main responses I hear from a lot of parents is, I've done all I needed to do. It's up to them to take care of me afterwards. Or they can take care of themselves, but we're supposed to leave an inheritance for our kids. And it's the mindset and the lack of understanding and education that's actually destroying not just our community, but majority of the people that are out here that are having this issue. Well said. Um, I wanted to get you out of here with this with this final question. Is there an area where more people are much less prepared than others? For example, I, I saw where you guys help people with uh, planning for college, of course, license, life insurance, and we talked about the uh, six six month emergency fund. Out of those areas or any ones that I haven't named, is there a particular area where you where the majority of people seem to be a lot less prepared in in those instances from what you've seen? Well, I think the the preparation mostly is about the perception of insurance and what it actually means. I mean, do you have people that will go out and look for a policy? and they don't really know what type of policy to look for. And a lot of agents, you may not know this, but a lot of agents have no experience really. In other words, what I'm saying is to become an insurance agent, all you have to do is take a one-day class and go and take a test. So on Monday, somebody can know nothing about insurance, take a class on Tuesday, take their license on Thursday, and they're an agent and they're out there selling insurance to people and they have no understanding of the full capacity of what insurance is all about. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people need to really find out the history of their agent and find out what they actually do know and understand and get some other, I guess, um, uh, I, uh, get their uh, resume, in other words. But um, starting from the right source is one of the main important areas when it comes to uh, getting a proper uh, overview or recommendation when it comes to insurance. So I think the main issue with, or the main area that people have issue with is, is the understanding and the education portion of it. But 
a good start and getting something to cover you and your family is for those who are younger, it's always good to start with a term policies are less expensive and they cover more risk. So a younger person in their 20s or 30s want to get a family and in the next 30, 40 years, they want to retire with a certain amount of money in the bank so they can live off of. But if they don't make it to that that age, they're going to need that large policy to replace that lost income for those amount of years that they're not on this earth. And we have term policies that have what you call a living benefit. So even if the person is in a situation when they have an incident and they don't pass away, they can still make a claim on that face value on that policy and use that money tax-free to take care of themselves, to pay the mortgage, to not lose their home. So that's a good start when it comes to getting a policy. And it's different for those who are in business. It's different for those who are in their senior years. Uh, they have final expense policies. They have um, different types of policies for different scenarios and different situations in a person's life. Don't ignore the problem. Don't just hope uh, nothing goes wrong in your life. Uh, listen to this brother. Do some planning. Talk to some experts and uh, see what you can do about planning for your future and securing it. Eric Newman of New Vision Consulting. Uh, he's here to help you decide what to do with your coins, the best way to uh, invest and, and prepare for your future. You can visit nvllc.net. Or did you have a, a personal email or anything, or are you on social media where people can reach you if they wanted to reach you specifically? Yes. Um, my email is info at newvisionconsultingllc.net. Okay. All right, and this... also, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I also wanted to make one point. Um, a lot of people have the notion that they don't need insurance. And that's the part that I definitely wanted to cover quickly. The only two types of people in this entire world that don't need insurance are people that have all their kids are well off or they can predict the future. Those are the only types of people who don't need insurance because People with money, they all have multiple policies and multiples insurance because it's about protecting your wealth. What's the point of accumulating wealth and investing and making this money if there's nothing to protect it? Because you have to also deal with taxes and probate and all that stuff on top of that, which is a whole other conversation. But my company is all about being a resource, being education. Even if you have your own agent, I still would like to give you some information if you have it. I don't mind talking to someone and then them going to their own agent if it's their friend or family member. Our company is all about education first. It's not about pushing anything. I've actually saved money for some of my clients who are spending too much. So it's not always about pushing a policy. It's about getting a person in the right situation and helping them for their future. So I wanted to add that. Appreciate that. Again, that email address was info at newvisionllc.net. New Vision Consulting. Yeah, newvisionconsulting.net. Okay. So contact him or also visit the website nvllc.net. And again, don't ignore the problem. 
get educated. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, and like you say, just just seek help because it's very important. And we hope that you were able to gain something from this brother. And don't be afraid to contact him. He's putting his information out there, so contact him. Eric, we want to thank you for joining us today on the show, man. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Want to once again thank Eric Newman for joining us. Uh, I hope that was informative for you. Uh, there's a lot of lot more information that he could have covered. Uh, you know, it probably would have been a whole show if he was to cover everything. But I, I strongly encourage you to, if not him personally, someone who is an expert, look them up. You know, go over a portfolio or, or things that you need to do as far as planning for your for your future and securing it. Uh, so I hope that was informative for you all. Was there anything that uh, stood out in the interview for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is understanding your risk. And that's the thing when people say, oh, I don't need insurance or I can't afford insurance. Well, as he said, if you can predict the future, then, yeah, you don't need to know. If you know exactly, you know, say when you're going to die, how you're going to die or anything like that, you may be able to say, OK, well, here's what I need to do in order to get to that point. But because you don't know and because life is so unpredictable, you have to be prepared. So you have to just basically make a best guess estimate based on your current costs, your current outstanding debt. What would be the best position to leave your family in? I mean, we see this a lot of times. We've seen it with friends and I've seen it with friends and family. It's 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 tough, you know, um, to, to, to go through losing a loved one. But then you add on top of that the cost of of, of having to, you know, go say put up a GoFundMe page to be able to bury your loved one, you know, the average funeral, some that we didn't talk about in the interview, but the average funeral is between eight and twelve thousand dollars in America, and that's kind of an expensive, uh, you know, expense if you don't have it saved up or you don't have anything uh, put away for it, or if you have to come up with it on your own. So it's just, you know, it's just the idea of building wealth, you know, with insurance, not necessarily building it like wealth, like an investment, but an investment that when you leave, your family is taken care of. And I think that's the mindset that we have to start adopting is when you die, which you will, you want to leave your family in the best position possible. And insurance is one of those vehicles, along with obviously your savings and other investments, if you have those that can put your family in a great position. NVLLC.net is the website. Click on contact us and you'll fill out your information. And Eric or one of his partners will definitely contact you as soon as possible. Uh, so we definitely encourage you to do that. Me and Frank will discuss capping it in just a moment. We're going to give you some fresh thoughts on it. I know everyone from ESPN to CNN, Fox News has discussed it. We're going to give you our take on it. Uh, real quick, Frank, we, we were off last week, so the last show we did, we, we discussed the Olympics. The Olympics, of course, are over, but one of the biggest stories that came out of the Olympics had nothing to do with who won the gold medal. It was your boy Lockie with the with the blue hair who, uh, I guess, some say he embellished a little, others say he lied. Here's my question for you, and you can even tell me if I'm, I'm wrong for even thinking this way. We talked about the different Olympic men's basketball teams, starting with the Dream Team all the way up, and we remember that 04 team. One of the main players on that 04 team was Allen Iverson. I want to, I want to put this in your, in, in, in your thoughts for a second, Frank. Imagine Allen Iverson doing what Ryan Lockie did down there in, in Brazil. What are the first words that come to your mind that you think you would have heard in the media had he done those things? 
uh, starts with a T, ends with a G, uh, and and um, sounds like hug, and and so obviously we know the words they're going to use. You know the code words that have been used against, uh, you know certainly African American and other minority people. Thug is is an easy term to stick, and certainly at the time, uh, you know it was it's it's ironic that we look at Ryan Lochte. Uh, with his whatever color hair, he said it was platinum, but I agree it did look somewhat bluish in the hue. But in my opinion, you know, Allen Iverson was no different. He had cornrows. He was different. He had cornrows and he had tattoos. I mean, that's just that's an African-American way of expressing himself. And Ryan Lochte did it in a different way, but it wasn't perceived the same way. Allen Iverson was always kind of uh, the outsider, the guy that was you didn't know what he was going to say, what he was going to do. But Allen Iverson is a very thoughtful guy. And, you know, I just think that the perception of... Uh, and this has something to do, we talked about it with other people, Brandon uh, Davis, also QB, Quinton Brooker, is the criminalization of black people. If he had been African-American, he would have not been spared at all. And that is the main point. That's when people are frustrated and upset. It's not about, okay, this guy's a kid. It's just that the, the treatment isn't equal across the board. And Ryan Lochte, certainly, he lost his endorsements. He certainly served some punishment, but at the same time, he still didn't completely get destroyed because I think he got other endorsements from the endorsements he lost because he got other lesser endorsements for like kind of what he did. So I think when people are, you know, we're in such a crazy place with, with um, you know, racial equality and profiling and different things and perception that people in something as simple as this, Ryan Lochte being referred to as a kid when he's 32 years old. And then there's, you know, somebody like Trayvon Martin, who was a boy who was who was killed by somebody who wasn't even a policeman and, that, and there, the outrage wasn't I mean it's I'm sorry I just like I said I'm, I'm on a tangent I don't even want to be where I'm at because we're trying to get to something else but just just in my opinion to answer your original question it would have been a completely different thing and, and forget Allen Iverson if it had just been anybody from this current basketball team uh, a Boogie Cousins a DeMar DeRozan who had done the same thing it would have been it would have been oh do we need to send our pros to the you know Olympics anymore they don't know how to act there's no, you know, there's no backlash, um, really, other than Ryan Lochte probably won't be swimming in Tokyo, and not because he's not going to get suspended, because he's not that good. I mean, he really wasn't that good. He won a gold medal, I think, in a relay, but other than that, he wasn't impressive. So his swimming career is probably over, but not because of anything other than the fact that it's probably just run its course because he's 32 years old. Yeah, uh, along along with thug, I think disgrace, embarrassment to the country, all that comes to mind. Had it been a Boogie Cousins or Allen Iverson instead, like you said, he was referred to as a kid, just telling a white lie, having fun, stretching the truth. Meanwhile, y'all dragged Gabby Douglas for, I guess, not having her hand over her her heart during the uh, the national anthem. A 20 year old versus this 32 year old. What can I say? The privilege is strong sometimes. Now, we've all been talking about it. We've all heard about it. For the few of you that may not know what's going on, in case you've been hiding under a rock, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick, he was sitting down during the uh, national anthem. Uh, when he was asked about it, he said it was because, you know, he's not going to stand uh, while this country accepts police brutality on brown people and black people. Um, he spoke his mind. People immediately began choosing sides. You have some that were outraged, said he was disrespecting our uh, men and women in service. 
uh, disrespecting the flag, disrespecting our country. Then you have others that are standing up for him. Uh, I just want to say real quick, because Frank, I know you want to, I know you want to get in on this. I just want to point out the hypocrisy for for those of you that follow me on social media. You probably have already seen this argument, but for those of you that don't, two hypocrisies, well, actually three hypocrisies that I see. One is with the fan. Don't pretend like you take that national anthem so seriously. I've been to many games, football, baseball, basketball. And you know what I see when the national anthem is playing or, or being sung? People eating nachos, people digging in their butt, burping from a beer, talking to somebody, texting. So don't pretend all of a sudden that you have this just huge respect for the national anthem and that him sitting, you're so offended by him sitting down. That's not what you're offended by. You're offended by his reason for it. That's what you're offended by because I have seen ton, a ton of people that have not paid the so-called respect that our national anthem deserve, deserves. The second hypocrisy is the NFL itself. We cheer that industry. You know what a billion-dollar industry did? They shot all that honoring of veterans and military that you see before games, waving the flag, having soldiers walk on the field. The Department of Defense was paying the NFL to do that to a total of $10.4 million total to, to at least 14 different teams, paying them to so-called honor these men and women. That is far more disrespectful, in my opinion. A billion-dollar industry charging our, our Department of Defense to honor these men and women that you're so-called riding for now. But you're not going to say anything about the NFL because we all love the NFL. It gives us our feel-good on Mondays and Sundays. So you're not going to say anything about that. You're going to pick on this one quarterback. Finally, we acknowledge, you know, everything that Muhammad Ali went through a few episodes ago, Frank. And I can't remember if I mentioned it during the show then, but I'll mention it now. There was kind of like a little whitewashing of, of the things that he did uh, coming up in his career. You know, he was very divisive back then. When he passed away, of course, everybody wants to call him a hero and things of that nature. So we just finished praising Ali, a man who said, I'm not going to fight in your war because those people haven't have never called me nigger before. But you Americans have. You won't fight for my freedom. And he was he was said to be disrespectful and stuff. So now those same people that praise Ali are now criticizing Colin Kaepernick, which means you didn't mean that praise. And again, Frank, let you jump in. But to me, it had they're they're using our soldiers as a cover for the real reason they're upset. And the real reason they're upset is what we talked about earlier with the whole Department of Justice findings. They're upset that he's calling out police officers, he's calling out our politicians, Trump and Clinton specifically, and he's calling out the citizens of this nation who turn a blind eye to what's going on in this country. And that's what they really object to. This whole phony disrespecting our men and women in uniform, that's just false. And and they know it, and I know it. You're not gonna pull one over on me. What you got to say on it, man? Man, thank thank you for saying some of the things that I would have said because I got so much to say. So I do appreciate you taking up some of that because I don't want to be here all night. But I, I will just start with this. I want to systematically just make this argument. And I, you know, a lot of people will on their face tell you that they love Martin Luther King. They feel like you know, why can't people just protest like Martin Luther King or why can't things be like that? People that, you know, may have not been around for that. They don't understand the civil rights movement, how, how it worked. Martin, one of Martin Luther King's hallmark principles was injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. 
And so the fact that Colin Kaepernick sat down and basically acknowledged that I may have not been maybe oppressed directly or anything like that, but because I know other people have been, I am making a stand. That is basically what Martin Luther King stood for. But then people say, well, I love Martin Luther King, you know, I, you know, and, and when you go back, you know, one of the things I think people get confused about is what is an actual protest versus what is a riot versus what is a vigil? Okay, I want to define those things because I think people get confused. A riot is something that doesn't belong anywhere. And people sometimes confuse or try to lump, say, the Ferguson or Baltimore uh, protests when people came and started looting and rioting. Those people are not good people. Those people should be arrested and charged as shoplifters. I have no problem with that because that's not what the movement is about. Now, a vigil is something you would have for somebody potentially for like a memorial service, somebody passed away or somebody's, you know, gone to, you know, a better place and you're honoring them or you have, you know, your or, or maybe a vigil if somebody's been kidnapped or you're hoping they come back home or they run away or something. It's a very thing where you kind of honor the person. And a protest is when you're actually trying to make light of something that needs to be changed and there's really no rule book other than the fact that you know it's going to make people uncomfortable i think people have forgotten that a protest makes you uncomfortable you know it's not a it's not like a riot where it's like okay you got to be careful and get away and stay out of the street it's not like a vigil where it's like oh we're honoring this one person one thing it is a protest meaning that somebody is protesting what is currently in law so you're not going to be happy with what comes out of it so the thing that's really been blowing my mind is obviously there, there's been two kind of people coming down. And I think you hit it on the head initially when you said, OK, you know, you're not you're not protesting Colin Kaepernick sitting down. You're protesting what he is saying is an injustice. So the, one of the things the media has been doing is been framing all the stories to say X, Y, Z athlete disagrees with Colin Kaepernick's position on how he, you know, didn't didn't stand up for the national anthem. What the article should read is XYZ athlete is okay with Tamir Rice being shot in cold blood in front of his home by an officer who wasn't indicted because Colin Kaepernick sat down for the national anthem. How does that headline read? It reads a little bit differently, right? Because at the end of the day, Tamir Rice is dead. What if Tamir Rice was was uh Colin Kaepernick's brother? Would that make it any better? Would it make it any different if he said, Oh, my brother was killed and and the officer who shot him didn't even get indicted. Would that would people be more sympathetic to that? I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's no. This is basically the same thing as Black Lives Matter. They're, you know, this is the exact same rhetoric. People are using coded words to say military or respect for the flag to basically say that we don't believe in police brutality. We believe that the reason why black and Hispanic people are getting shot is because they don't know how to act. And that's kind of what they deserve. And we're okay with boys and girls being attacked and brutalized by the police because they deserve it. Because at the end of the day, if they acted better, they would be better. And one of the great pieces that has come out is his and hers, Jamel Hill, Michael Smith, I give them 100% credit. They crushed the idea that the, the, the that you can you can't be oppressed if you have money the idea that people think that just because you're in the NFL and you're privileged you should shut your mouth that's what slavery is I mean you're basically saying you're paying your for silence and Colin Kaepernick is refusing to pay for silence and now people are saying it's going to cost him his career there are reports coming out from GM saying that he is a traitor and if he is released by the 49ers they wouldn't want any part of him and I laugh and I say oh he's a traitor Snowden that's a traitor 
okay? A man who would betray his country because he feels like, oh, they were they were they were doing things that were I felt like were too intrusive as far as as far as spying on people or whatever you wouldn't have it. That's a traitor. Somebody who stands up for injustice among people, among children that are being killed is not a traitor. I mean, the idea that we've been split on these lines is so ridiculous to me. And the fact that you have people that are pledging allegiance, people are pledging allegiance to this flag. And, you know, Francis Kaiki was a known slaveholder. And there is a verse that is missing from the National Anthem because it wasn't adapted as our National Anthem until 1931. When it was written over a hundred years ago because of that verse because people are like oh that doesn't exactly sound very uh, patriotic so people have all this love and they only know the history of francis scott key or the flag or uh the song the original song that basically has a verse that talks celebrates the 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 belittlement and the um how would you say the badgering um of of runaway slaves and so the idea that this flag now is so holy and by not standing up, we have dishonored it. I would I would almost think, wow, did is, is the flag represent Jesus Christ? Like I'm wondering and how the flag got so, so, you know, and so that and that's how this is being obfuscated. It's being turned into disrespect to the flag, disrespect to the military. But at the end of the day, there are people out there that don't want to admit that there are people out there that are systematically targeting African-Americans and other minorities because they can, because they keep building more prisons and they keep, you know, having quotas to be met and they're doing this policing and, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and nobody wants to talk about it. And, and, you know, we have all these these cases where these guys are getting shot unarmed and we don't have a resolution to it. And Colin Kaepernick is standing up and saying, I want to hear the resolution before I stand up. I don't have a problem with the military. And, you know, for everybody who says, well, you know, yeah, we can talk about the issues, but you shouldn't protest that way. There's no right or wrong way to protest. It's just you do it. You know, it's like when you take the red pill, you open your eyes. It doesn't matter. You do it. Like if you've taken the red pill, you see what Colin Kaepernick is doing. For all the other people who are who are taking the blue pill, you're not going to get it. It doesn't matter what he does, how he does it. You're not going to respect it. Okay, you know, to think that Colin Kaepernick is not worthy of being on NFL roster and Greg Hardy was is is a complete joke. And it's a, it's a complete indictment of the hypocrisy of what's going on in America and why we're so divided right now, because we can look at the same situation. We have no empathy. We have no empathy for each other because we think, you know, there's a lot of people out there to think, well, I don't really it doesn't affect me, but it does affect you, because while you may not have any black friends, your daughter, your son's going to end up marrying a black person or a hispanic person or an ethnic person and then it's gonna be closer to home than you think you know it's funny funny things end up happening like that so i just i just want to say and because i don't want to come off like i'm being militant or anything like that i just want to say that this is a time where instead of being divided over what kaepernick is doing or how he did it can we just come out and just state our position and say we don't if you just come out and say you don't think there's police brutality that's that's a, that's fine. I mean, because then we just not going to agree to disagree. But let's get past that. And if you are understanding of the Tamir Rice, if, if, if just that one case of a 12 year old boy being shot in cold blood is enough to move you, then that's all you need to do is get behind. This movie. We don't care how it got started. We don't care what the name of it is. You know, people don't like the name Black Lives Matter. People don't like the fact that Beyonce danced on a police car in her video. They said, no, she shouldn't have done it like that. She shouldn't have marched like that at the Super Bowl. She shouldn't have done those things. Well, 
what what is the way you want to see it protested? How would you like to see it protested? We didn't like the fact that LeBron and Carmelo and them guys the ESPYs. You know, the issue has to be brought up at some point. It has to be broached in some way. And so my thing is, if you just don't think it's a problem, go ahead and say it's not a problem. Don't complain about the solution because you obviously are not offering any solutions. And just tying all the way back to what Jesse Williams said, it's time to, you know, for people and not this is not just a black people. This is time for everybody who's listening to this, who has friends who understand what the struggle is to take up a mantle and do what you can. I don't mean you have to go and protest tomorrow. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you need to make a conscious effort to make a difference in race relations in America. And that could mean any number of things. It could mean having a friend of a different color, making a friend of a different color. You know, today, an FSU receiver, uh, his last name is Rudolph, went and sat with a, with, a, with a boy who's autistic. He was white. I'm not trying to say that that make, makes a difference that white sounds, but what I'm saying is that is a great gesture. That gesture might have let people say, wow, that was a really great thing that a black guy did. I've never seen a black guy do something like that. You, be an example. Be the change you want to see. Let's not just be on Facebook ranting and saying these things. Let's make a difference. Let's let's get out and do those things. So, like I said, I, I, I applaud Colin Kaepernick, who may have ended his career, but you know what? It was going to be worth it because at the end of the day, he can sleep better knowing that he stood up for what was right. And all those other guys who were standing up for the national anthem just because they're afraid to lose their check, they're the cowards. He's not the coward. So I just I just want to say that hopefully I didn't I didn't go on too long, but I just I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I, I do love this country. I love, you know, I have I have a lot of friends, a lot of different ethnicities and diversities, but there's a lot of problems and we have to address them. And we're the generation to address them. This is not for our kids to do. And, you know, maybe this generation that got lulled into thinking, well, Martin Luther King did everything and we ain't got to worry. About, we ain't got to fight that battle. No, we are we are back in the middle of it. It may not be the exact same thing, but we're back in the middle of it. And if we and if we turn a blind eye to it, the world we leave our kids will be worse off for it. So don't let that happen. Uh, at, one, at one point during your speech, man, I almost started applauding and clapping, but I know that would have distracted you, man. That was well put, man. Well said. You you hit on every point that needed to be hit on. And I'm so glad you posted, you reposted that interview with Claiborne Carson, because when incidents like this come up, man, I always go back to that interview, man. It's still relevant today. And we did that several months ago to where if, you know, Colin got a lot of criticism, including from black people. And, And for me, you can't on one hand say our athletes need to start speaking up and saying something. We mentioned what Michael Jordan said and a couple of other athletes on our last episode, you can't, you know, say these athletes need to do something. Then when they do something, you pick it apart. You know, like you you kind of alluded to this in your, in your, in your speech, a protest is, isn't meant to be make you feel comfortable. It should make you feel uncomfortable. So all those people that are saying, uh, you know, he had, I support his right to do it. I just don't like how he did it. What do you mean you don't like how he did it? He didn't, he didn't disrupt traffic because I hear people complain about that. He didn't disrupt anything. He sat down during the national anthem. It, it doesn't get more peaceful than that, folks. So if you got a problem with that, stop lying to yourselves and just, again, say you have a problem with what he was protesting. Because how he protested is not a problem at all. By the way, Veterans for Kaepernick is tri- trending, by the way. Um, so I, I, I mentioned this. Frank posted, the, reposted the uh, Carson interview. Uh, he also posted what he mentioned in his speech, the his and hers uh, segment on this on, on this topic. 
He posted it on our Facebook page. And so I invite you to go there and check it out. Like the Facebook page, subscribe, pass it along. Frank, as always, man, I thank you for everything you do with this show. Take us out, man. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You make this show possible. You make it exciting for us to do because we know that we're trying to make a change uh, for the positive direction. Uh, we just want to encourage you guys to continue to listen to the show, continue to share the show, different mediums, iTunes, Facebook, anywhere you can, definitely share it. We're just excited about the upcoming election. We want you to get excited about voting. We can make a difference. So you guys take care, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.